You're listening to Spice Radio 1200 AM, and we are speaking to Margareta Dovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. And this week's topic is building for the future, homes for people and engines for the economy, plus hydrogen in BC is ramping up, the G7 is meeting again, and what it all means. Margareta, thank you so much for joining us this morning. As always, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, this is very interesting, Margareta. You were recently appointed to the City of Vancouver's Renters Advisory Committee. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's a committee that has actually existed for a couple of years now, but this is a fresh term. And I will say right off the bat that I was just appointed last week, and it's a volunteer role. Uh, we've actually yet to meet, but I'm super excited to get to know everyone who is on the team. And I'm looking forward to learning where we're going to be able to advance shared priorities over what I think is the next year and a little bit more. Uh, but essentially, the purpose of the committee, which is technically called a civic agency within the city of Vancouver, is to advise our municipal government on the priorities of renters. And uh, here's a startling statistic. 55% of all Vancouver households actually rent the, the homes that they live in. And I find that pretty remarkable because on average across Canada, a majority owns. About 66%. So that tells me something very interesting about renting versus owning uh, trends in this city. And, uh, you know, once the committee has had a chance to frame the discussion, appoint a chair and vice chair, I'll be hoping to share more about our emerging priorities. But uh, for now, it's just my own thoughts, as per usual. And uh, overall, I really see a need to ensure, A, that people are housed. Uh, we, we still have some significant challenges with that uh, and lots of uncertainties also people who are housed but fairly precariously and be ensuring that tenants aren't horribly disempowered but by what really should be an equitable economic exchange where the seller of the service the landlord actually needs the buyer the tenant as much as the tenant needs them and uh, we Unfortunately, see the opposite of this trend in Vancouver. You know, for the majority of my life, I'm 26 years old now, the vacancy rate has actually been closer to zero than the minimum threshold for a healthy rental market. And economists say that's about 3 to 7%. Right now in Vancouver, it's below 1%. Uh, and I, I've seen this firsthand. You know, I've been renovated three times. Uh, in all cases, I knew that the units were going back up for rent at a much higher rate. And that experience is really crushing. Uh, but, you know, I've been a renter my whole life, and I continue to rent today. Uh, but in other cities in Canada and even around the world, it's, like I said, the landlords that are competing for business. Instead of dozens of prospective tenants lining up around the block for viewings, you know, I've seen headlines, uh, stories of uh, 100 people showing up to, to one open house, uh, begging for the opportunity to live in units that sometimes don't even really meet their needs. We actually need the opposite. And a sign of a healthy rental market would be landlords resorting to, you know, fun measures to attract tenants, like standing outside their buildings with sandwich boards and a song and dance routine, begging people to, to come and, and live there. Uh, or more realistically, like I experienced when I lived uh, in Ottawa, uh, offers for heavily discounted rent or several months rent-free, flexible move-in dates. So these are all the kinds of things that Vancouverers could enjoy if we had a more functional rental market. Mm. And since we've been doing this show on a weekly basis, you've recently returned to the topic of housing, even though we typically talk about natural resources. Where do you see the connection? Well, I think they are very, very connected. And uh, it comes back to the theme for, for this week's show. It's about building. And, you know, not everyone agrees on every solution uh, when we even agree on what the end results should look like. Um, but also not everyone agrees on what the outcomes should be. And I think this is the eternal values-based uncertainty that electoral politics tries to address. And, you know, we can attribute strong electoral performance, usually not always, to the public saying, yes, 
those are good ideas. I like what this party is putting out there, and I think this is how society should run. Uh, we, of course, saw a huge shift in the last municipal election in Vancouver. Uh, people overwhelmingly supported a party that had answers on public safety and housing, uh, two issues that I think we've been struggling with a little bit. Uh, but across the country right now, uh, in my friend circles, the professionals that I deal with, uh, the students, the, the creators that I talk to, there's a big surge of support now for this general premise that Canada needs to do more to grow and thrive into the future rather than stagnate in a pool of wealth that, you know, does exceed the global average by quite a bit. And there are people who would rather stall progress. They don't want to see new buildings popping up on their block. They want to keep uh, their, you know, nice green grass and uh, nice uh, large uh, single-family home and ensure that no one else can, can move on to the block. Um, there's people who don't want to see any new major resource projects being built. Um, and they will say many things about why they believe that. They may believe that growth is unsustainable, or on some level, maybe they believe that because they've already got theirs, no one else should get a cut to. And fundamentally, I think the only way to distribute prosperity and ensure a high quality of life for all Canadians is by building more prosperity and ensuring that people can access it. So, you know, this logic applies to housing and economic activity. We need these high productivity exports things like mining, forestry, and oil and gas, to maintain our purchasing power so that when we want to buy things from other countries that Canada does not produce, we actually have the cash to do that. Uh, but we also simultaneously need homes for a growing population. That requires immigration. Uh, we need that to avoid demographic collapse. The Canadian population is aging. We're just not having enough kids. So more and more people are coming in every year, and we're absolutely not building new homes at the rate that we need to uh, to ensure that things like the tenancy, uh, the vacancy rate can remain at a healthy level. Uh, but the underlying threat in all of this is well-being. I, I do this work, uh, whether that's my nonprofit resource work or my volunteer advocacy for tenants, because I believe that people across societies deserve greater opportunities. And, you know, as I've said before a couple of times, I grew up in a pretty poor working-class family. Uh, my parents immigrated from Eastern Europe just before I was born. And I've seen firsthand how many people in our society who are newcomers have talents and skills that aren't utilized. And their well-being, the well-being of their family, suffers as a result. And society doesn't get to see the benefits of what they bring to the country. So uh, I think we really need to build more. We need to find ways to, to be efficient, to be creative and innovative so that we can get the economy firing in all cylinders and everyone can have a phenomenal next 30, 40 years, not just a phenomenal 30, 40 years in the past that we look back on fondly. On another note, I know you wanted to give us an executive update on hydrogen in British Columbia. What's the latest? Yeah, so recently at UBC, uh, a new hydrogen filling station for vehicles actually opened up, and uh, that's a fairly substantial uh, shift from years past. Uh, we see the Canadian and B.C. governments fitting hydrogen into their green decarbonization mandates, and a lot of funding is opening up as a result. And uh, there was also an interesting report from the World Hydrogen Council, uh, you know, just earlier this month. Uh, they believe that there are now over a 1,000 announced hydrogen projects globally. Uh, that majority are for industrial use. Uh, so often cases where you would see fossil fuel, fuels used to uh, power uh, industry, uh, now there's a lot of demand. Uh, hopefully by 2030, we'd be seeing a massive amount of low-carbon hydrogen as well in the market. Um, and that would be replacing uh, fossil fuel supply, also offsetting um, some things that a few countries are pulling away from, like nuclear. Uh, but it, it is an exciting step. Uh, it is a transformative one. We haven't used hydrogen on a vast scale just yet. Um, and there's a lot of cool applications. So something called green steel is getting quite a bit of buzz around it. Uh, and essentially what you do is you use 
uh, hydrogen atoms instead of carbon atoms to upgrade iron into much more useful steel. Uh, so that really reduces the uh, carbon footprint. Uh, and of course, if we can get these hydrogen atoms from green methods, uh, that's actually going to help us get to net zero by 2050. Uh, not everyone realizes that industrial production is super, super energy intensive. Uh, it's super emissions intensive. So uh, finding unique and innovative ways to do that is essential if we want to act quickly on climate change. Uh, but of course, this is a huge opportunity for a place like British Columbia, where we have so much potential for green hydrogen because we have green electricity. And, you know, one day it's uh, not hard to imagine uh, big industries that are, you know, as green as anything in the world, uh, attracted to these shores that we live on because of these attributes. And, uh, you know, just to quote uh, someone that I heard recently, the first movers are going to be the winners in the end. Um, so it's incredibly exciting that uh, we're making this big step. And uh, I really hope the government continues to fire on all cylinders on that one, too. And, uh, of course, Margaret, we've got the G7 meeting that is going on in Tokyo over the next few days. How do you expect the conversation will go? Well, we've seen a big shift. And uh, as I've said before, the Ukraine-Russia conflict, uh, Russia's legal invasion of Ukraine, uh, really triggered a global energy crisis. Uh, we're, we're still living with the consequences of that. And, of course, the war continues, and it's had a devastating impact on people. Uh, but uh, in a practical sense, um, there's been a shift away from, you know, high-level idealistic goals, um, you know, somewhat unplugged from the, the day-to-day energy reality, and more into the practical uh, viewpoints of what the future of energy really means. Uh, prices are so high right now, so people are thinking, well, you know, can we tolerate uh, these prices being really high for other reasons, like acting quickly on climate change? Um, so I'm expecting uh, a lively conversation about natural gas. Um, you know, Japan really, really wants our product. Many Asian countries, in fact, are turning to British Columbia for it uh, because it is a green fuel that's needed for energy transition. Um, and it's, it's exciting because about uh, 12% of the propane today that's used in Japan, you know, think of all the delicious street food you'd find in uh, metropolises like Tokyo, actually comes out of the port of Prince Rupert. So we're already a major energy supplier to Asia on that front and in many other forms. And uh, we're working really hard to get more LNG export facilities built. Uh, but in order to take the next step to fully realize the potential of this massively necessary industry that uh, all our global partners are saying is needed, we need to align these global trends and demands from our allies with domestic policies. So make it straightforward, make it clear how industry that wants to invest can get projects built. Uh, and I think an overarching theme here is we need vision, we need purpose on what Canada's economy can and should look like. Um, I have a sense of where we should be headed as a nation. Um, and uh, I think it really boils down to avoiding the inertia of stagnation. Uh, we need to have a sense of where growth goes, how it is sustainable, and how it serves the benefits of all Canadians. And if we don't do that, then it's abundantly clear that the next generation will definitely not have it as good as the one before. Um, so let's avoid that at all costs and set out a clear vision and get everyone on board. Exactly. Margareta, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. You take care and have a wonderful weekend. You too. Thanks, Karen.